Hello again, and welcome to episode 27 of In Gear with the Shop. I'm your host, Reagan Dickinson, and our guest is Chris Kirsting, president and CEO of SEMA. Of course, the big topic of discussion is this year's SEMA show in Las Vegas, November 2nd through 5th, and what to expect this year after a COVID-induced hiatus in 2020. But we also discuss the challenges and opportunities facing the industry now and in the coming years. So without further ado, let's get in gear with Chris Kirsting. We're in the home stretch for SEMA 2021, and I know a lot of people are very excited about it. Obviously, there's some people who are like, I don't really know what's going on this year. Um, you know, they're seeing weird things all over the country um, as far as you know, there's not a, cons- there, there aren't consistent guidelines and restrictions and so on and so forth when you go yeah. from place to place. And so obviously we want to focus on what's going on in Las Vegas. I, you know, I think the thing that we see the, the best opportunity to, to clarify people wondering what the, the safety measures will be at the show itself. And, uh, you know, there's so much noise out there. It really does help to, to have an opportunity to clear up some of the, the clutter. So SEMA is going to have in place the, the requirements, uh, the safety measures that are required by the Nevada and the Clark County uh, Health and Safety Authorities. And if the show were to happen tomorrow, they are requiring masking for indoor events such as, as trade shows. And uh, the relevant COVID data in Nevada is trending in a really positive direction. They're doing well, like most places in the country. On the other hand, in order to remove the mask requirement, they've got to get to their target number and hold it for two weeks. And so with just a few weeks left until the SEMA show, uh, we're now forecasting that that mask requirement is going to be in place. You know, I I think that folks need to uh, take into account their individual circumstances Uh, take care of themselves that way and plan accordingly. So uh, it's not a whole lot different uh, than a lot of of what folks are encountering wherever they live. Uh, One interesting thing that a lot of people may or may not know is that in Las Vegas, uh, throughout the summer and up to today, uh, they have been hosting major trade events. Uh, Mine Expo uh, is a trade event that happened a few weeks ago Uh, In Las Vegas, I think they had about 1,300 companies exhibiting, uh, had 24,000 folks uh, attend. Uh, Just last week or so, uh, another industry, the uh, packaging industry, had their Pack Expo. And uh, they had some, uh, I think they had about 17,000 buyers registered for that show in advance, and they ended up with 22,000 showing up. So I think as time is, is passing here, uh, people are gaining confidence uh, and they're seeing that these shows are actually going to happen. I, I have to say, despite anything that, that SEMA has said uh, all along, uh, folks will ask you know, or wonder, will there really be a SEMA show? And I think now that we're just a few weeks out, folks are starting to see, yes, in fact, there will be a SEMA show. They're gaining confidence there. And uh, they're saying, I, I want to be there. I think for ourselves, uh, we have about 1,370 companies uh, exhibiting at the SEMA show this year. And uh, as of this week, we're right at about 40,000 buyer reseller uh, attendees registered for the show. And 
that number as we get closer is now increasing every day. Uh, so you can see the momentum is, is headed uh, in a great direction there. And I think we're going to have a really good show for the folks who uh, have chosen to be there. So based on what you told me, it sounds like you will not require uh, proof of vaccine. Right. It's, it's basically we're following what the, the authorities there are requiring. And uh, per their own projections, they haven't had that as a requirement uh, so far to date. And their COVID situation is much, much better today than it was you know, a month and a half ago. Okay. Well, that's great news. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the show itself. And, you know, one of the big things there is going to be the new West Hall. Um, and it looks to me like that space uh, is bringing in restyling, car care, trucks, uh, which used to be in the North and Upper South Hall, respectively. That's correct? right. So you know moving- your show. <laughs> <laughs> so they're now, moving. Go ahead. No, I was going to say we're excited to have that facility. It really is a state-of-the-art facility. I think people are going to be blown away by it. It's uh, it, it is just a whole different level of uh, opportunity, both for the exhibitors and also uh, for a lot of the educational programming. And um, one of the things that we're excited to see, and, and I encourage folks to check it out, uh, we've got record numbers of folks registering for the educational programs and seminars uh, at the SEMA show this year. What are the things that you're most excited about at this year's SEMA? Yeah, one of the things that we're seeing, you know, it's been two years uh, effectively since we had the last SEMA show. And uh, a highlight at every SEMA show is our new product showcase. And, uh, you know, the industry is all about innovation. And the new product showcase is where they bring everything that they've been working on. And normally for the past year uh, or more this this time around, you know, past couple of years. So uh, we're seeing some some great registration uh, of new products. Uh this year we have Hoonigan, they're coming back. Uh, they're going to have a burnyard feature uh, out in front uh, that uh, mimics their burnyard that they do over here in Irwindale, uh, not too far from the SEMA offices. Chip Foose is doing something this time that's really cool. He's bringing together uh, for the first time 20 of his most famous builds into one corral. And, and he would say even he hasn't had the chance to see these 20 vehicles all together in one place. Other things that are happening, Optima, they're going to have 80 of their Optima Challenge vehicles uh, at the show this year. We're bringing uh, back around the Overland experience. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that really caught on in, in 19, we had our first Overland experience uh, where folks could check out what's happening with this off-road backcountry scene. And uh, in the time since COVID uh, has, has been upon us, uh, that whole off, off-road and, and uh, outdoor scene has really exploded. And uh, so we're, we're excited to see what's gonna be happening uh, at the Overland Experience. SEMA Electrified, uh, we're going to have an area at the show where folks are gonna be able to see some of the cool trends in electric vehicle modification. And, you know, for this podcast, I wanted to make sure we had a, a nice wide ranging discussion about uh, some of the challenges and opportunities facing our industry. And I'd like to start with supply chain struggles. Um, this is, you hear it everywhere and you hear it in almost every industry. And, you know, there are rumblings that these supply chain uh, problems could get worse before they get better, uh, particularly as we head to the end of this year and into next year. Uh, what are you hearing? 
folks are trying to come up with innovative ways to solve the problems. And uh, I expect into the future, you're going to see uh, companies planning a little bit more for what can happen when you have one source of supply and uh, that source of supply is far, far away. So I think you're going to start seeing uh, people try and build uh, plans that that give them a plan B or an option uh, to emphasize a different source uh, when they need it. Okay. Um, so what do you see as the biggest threats or challenges and opportunities that are facing the market over the next five years and even further down the road, say 10 years? Um, and I'm talking about, and, and this includes policy at the federal, state, and local level as well. Yeah, sure. Regulation. So, you know, one that uh, we're wrestling with all the time, but is really, uh, I think, intensified for SEMA of the last few years uh, is, is laws and regs concerning emissions and emissions compliance. And uh, one of the things we've seen is, is EPA uh, become more aggressive. You might have seen that a number of years ago, they took an interpretation, the same Clean Air Act language that's always been there, and I mean for 50 years always been there. Right. Uh, they came out with a, a proposed regulation to indicate that their interpretation of that law is that a vehicle that has been certified for street use cannot be converted to a racing vehicle uh, if you take it out of emissions compliance. Mm -hmm. Well, of course, that's been going on since the first cars rolled off the assembly line, <laughs> and, or we could say at least since the, the, the first emissions regulations, right, uh, came into place. And, and it's interesting, uh, uh, NASCAR in the, in the actual acronym is the term stock car. I mean, I don't know, I don't know exactly what EPA has been paying attention to, but yeah, if you can't convert uh, stock vehicles to go racing, uh, that's news to us. So, of course, uh, we responded as an industry. Uh, we've got a piece of legislation uh, pending in Congress, which uh, would clarify this matter under the Clean Air Act. It's called the RPM Act. Mm -hmm. And we'd urge all your folks uh, who are listening, uh, go to saveourracecars.com uh, and help us out. Uh, we have a letter writing campaign there. It's quite easy. Uh, you can see the legislators who are supportive of, of what we're trying to do there. And we'd urge you all to support them. Uh, if you're a SEMA member, uh, SEMA has a PAC and uh, we encourage folks to, to participate in our, our uh, political action committee. But uh, we really need that kind of grassroots uh, help. And this year, I think we have a good chance of getting that uh, bill passed into law, clarify that it is uh, legal to convert uh, vehicles for, for racing and take a lot of uh, a lot of aggravation and problems that are out there in the market right now out of the out of the way. So that's that's a big area uh, for us. Uh, I think another area that we're focused on uh, has to do with ADOS equipment, uh, the safety equipment and features that are on vehicles today. And while a lot of those are not required as yet by federal law, uh, you could see uh, that that's a, a very good possibility moving into the future. So we're trying to work to make sure that uh, there's the opportunity to work with those systems so that you can modify a vehicle uh, and it won't end up interfering with those safety systems. Uh, you can expect, I believe, in the, in the future years here that, that 
federal regulators are going to see some of those systems as beneficial and they'll become uh, required equipment. So uh, that's an important area. And then uh, I think that the, the government, as they're moving uh, into the future, is going to be looking at cybersecurity concerns where vehicles are, are basically uh, linked in. They're uh, hooked up there. They're online. And you're seeing some of that uh, already where uh, there are concerns about whether or not uh, folks can, can break into those systems and uh, what implications that might have. And uh, we need to make sure that there's the opportunity for repair and modification to take place, uh, despite the fact that some of those uh, cybersecurity features uh, will, will make the, the vehicle less prone to uh, folks hacking into them. So that, that's something that's out there and we're paying attention to it. The first frontier really is with, with ADOS, just working with the car makers and uh, trying to make sure that there's the opportunity to get in there, repair, uh, modify as uh, necessary and keep the vehicles compliant, keep those safety systems intact. Uh, but eventually it'll become a regulatory matter. What are you seeing as the effect of um, electric vehicles on our industry specifically? Yeah, it's a, a hot topic uh, these days. And, and I think it's really, it's an opportunity uh, for me to, to talk about it with you a little bit because there is, I think, some, some really good uh, opportunities for the specialty industry, for the modification industry as we move forward. And uh, I think, and at the same time, we understand that uh, the marketing and the, the messaging that uh, electric vehicles are the future and the future is now, the internal combustion engine is going away, that's very threatening uh, to a lot of folks who uh, have built their businesses around the internal combustion engine and love it and, and right. so forth. So uh, here are a few things that, that I, I would say about it. Uh, despite the matter that we've got this, this kind of uh, almost uh, a tide of information coming at us to say that the internal combustion engine is, is going away and is being pushed out by electric. You know, we have the car makers now really touting their electric uh, vehicle uh, future. We have the uh, media and, and partly fueled by climate change concerns, you know, touting the matter that electric uh, vehicles are the solution to this in the future. And then we've got a change in, in Washington with the, the Congress uh, and the administration, both on the Democratic side. So a lot of information coming out of there. So I think it really does feel like uh, the internal combustion engine is under siege, right? Uh, I think the realities are that it's going to take quite a long time to integrate electric vehicles in meaningful numbers into the US vehicle fleet. Uh, and that isn't some you know, uh, optimistic papered over sort of opinion. It just is, it's, 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 it's factual. You look even in a state like California where I live, uh, despite all the efforts to try and, and promote uh, electric vehicles, it just takes time. Uh, there's, the price point is still uh, a concern. The, the range is still a concern. But I'll tell you, when you really get into the question about being able to accommodate a lot of them on the road, we're going to have to develop a lot of infrastructure to deliver that electricity in order to accommodate large numbers of, of electric vehicles. I mean, 
I live here in, in outside LA and we have rolling blackouts in our summers even now. Uh, can you imagine if 30% of the people, 40% of the people, 50% of the people were out there plugging in their, their vehicle to get fuel to uh, get home that evening? So right. it's, it's going to take some time in that respect. The other thing is, you know, we're at a very low percentage of vehicles annually uh, being sold, although it is the marketing focus. You know, it's still uh, percentage wise, a very low percentage of vehicles annually. And what that means, on the other hand, is that all the rest of those vehicles are internal combustion engine vehicles. They're going to have a useful life 15 years, whatever it is, and, and it keeps increasing, right? Uh, so those vehicles are going to be on the road for a long time. Well, fast forward seven years, and let's imagine that we've gotten to a place where, you know, 30% of the vehicles are, are electric vehicles. You're still talking about, uh, you know, annual sales between 15 and 18 million units, whatever the number will turn out to be. And most of them are going to be internal combustion engines that are going to have a 15-year life. So uh, I, I think that uh, we are, as an industry, uh, going to have some time. And then at, at the same, uh, by the same token, I think there are great opportunities in that. So uh, it used to be that, that the electric vehicles that, that were sold looked like these kind of lunar units that were a statement that I'm, a, I'm an enviro-friendly person, right? It was really intended to be that way. Now, it's getting to be a really exciting market for people who like performance. I mean, uh, take a Tesla out in ludicrous mode. And, and if you're a, an enthusiast, tell me you didn't dig that experience. And now you got Ford coming out with the, the Lightning pickup, and you're going to move into a whole additional area where our, the modification customization industry, the SEMA industry, really has opportunities. This is now the, the utility accessories that are sold, the off-road accessories that are sold, and so on and so forth. So as uh, the competition will now heat up uh, in the in the pickup uh, segment and the uh, SUV segment, you're going to see a lot of opportunities for folks to be selling great uh, accessories and, and mods for, for those vehicles. So, you know, uh, time doesn't stand still. Things progress. Folks will evolve. The good news is our industry is going to have the opportunity over time to keep doing a good deal of what they're doing today and to evolve in to take advantage of some of these opportunities. You know, one of the things that SEMA, I think, has always done a very good job of is uh, working with youth, uh, getting youth involved in our industry, and also uh, trying to connect people with uh, careers in our industry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we hear a lot about worker shortages right now um, and trying to find young people to work in the shops. Uh, is there anything that SEMA has implemented or SEMA has observed um, that you could give advice to just your typical local shop who's looking for those that they could implement in their community to help with that? It's true that we don't have uh, a technical program in high schools uh, the way we did. And uh, developing a lot of young people who can come out and, and go to work in the industry. Uh, but one of the things we learned when we started working uh, on that problem is that a lot of it has moved to the community college level. And I think a lot of folks are not aware that there are uh, young people in their neighborhoods, in their areas who are taking part in those community college programs. 
And if, uh, you know, it, it may be seem like common sense, but I think a lot of people miss it. Take advantage and find out what's going on in your area. Find out in the region where there are uh, automotive technical programs and try and get in front of those kids. Uh, try and, and find out uh, with their placement people because the path is typically for those folks to go to work in dealerships. Uh, and that's a, an attractive path. But there are enough uh, young people who are also pretty spirited and, and enthusiasts and really would enjoy uh, working in a more independent environment, in many cases in my industry on, on modification and uh, performance improvement, that kind of stuff, uh, to try and plug into that and uh, at least start there and see, see what's available. Because I think a lot of folks are like, ah, oh, there are no kids out there that are being trained anymore. And that isn't entirely true. Well, you know what the music means. Our time is up. Yeah, I really appreciate your time today. And, and again, taking time out of your busy schedule. I know it's getting to be crunch time right before the show. So thank you again thank for you. taking the time. Hey, thank you. We really appreciate the opportunity. We look forward to seeing folks in a few weeks out in Las Vegas. Awesome. Well, for more information about the SEMA show, go to SEMAshow.com and go to SEMA.org to get involved. Now, you can subscribe to In Gear with the Shop through your favorite podcast platform, whether it's SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you're subscribed to the Shop's daily e-newsletter, you'll know when the latest podcast is available. Plus, you'll stay up to date on the latest in the automotive aftermarket. Just go to theshopmag.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios amigos.